Lucia Kurekova uh, earned her doctoral degree in political science from Central European University in Budapest. She's been working as a consultant for World World Bank, as well as for the Slavic Governance Institute. Her research work examines labor migration patterns from Central and Eastern Europe in the context of EU enlargement, uh, as well as how economic restructuring and welfare policy influences migration dynamics from the region, and on which uh, she will present today. So thank you very much for this kind invitation. It's, it's always very nice to, to come back to this very inspiring environment. Uh, what I'm going to present today is based on my dissertation research, which I uh, defended a couple of years ago, so it's not most uh, recent work, but I still think it's in a number of ways uh, topical and, and, and hopefully new and it will inspire uh, the debate. Uh, I uh, uh, prepared the presentation to start with more of a general context because I'm a first speaker to sort of set up uh, uh, what are we talking about and how sort of the, the basic issues uh, evolved. Um, so, as you know, East-West migration is an issue with high socioeconomic importance and political salience and controversy, and this is what had defined the debates and the discussions prior to the enlargement in May 2004. One of the key themes of the discourse and the debates was the discourse on welfare tourism, um, and it became one of the key aspects of the, of the pre-accession negotiations. Uh, and it sort of inspired a number of studies which try to estimate the number of migrants we can expect uh, after the enlargement uh, to, the, to Eastern Europe. These estimates, uh, as you might know, were very diverse. They range from 13,000 migrants to the UK to a, no, a few million uh, of estimated migrants uh, and led to quite different policy responses by the Western Europe or EU 15 countries. A uh, majority of the countries, as you know, uh, introduced transitory periods and the free movement of labor, which sort of came to end uh, in May 2011 in the countries that took them or had them the longest, which was Germany and Austria. And three countries liberalized the labor markets, UK, Ireland and Sweden. This is well known. What is perhaps a little less known is that uh, although liberalization took place in UK and Ireland, it was attached or sort of another process was attached to this, uh, which were adjustments to social security systems. And this was of course done in anticipation or sort of in a fear uh, of this welfare tourism and, and sort of use uh, of the welfare systems by migrants from Central and Eastern Europe. So um, what basically happened, uh, I mean this, is, this was not a major change, but, but that's how the welfare systems are set up, that social rights are very often tied to the employment history record. So the way that the receiving countries start try to prepare uh, for the accession uh, was by strengthening or, or making this eligibility more stringent. Uh, so a key tool in UK was the worker registration scheme, uh, which became a gateway uh, to the welfare access as well, uh, and defined uh, a necessity of an uninterrupted lawful employment as one of the conditions to access a number of benefits uh, in the receiving countries such as family benefits and other unemployment benefits especially as one of the key uh, welfare system benefits. Uh, in Ireland what was sort of introduced in the sort of preparation for the, for the enlargement was a two-year employment record uh, requirement in order to access a number of the, of the welfare benefits. So um, 
what we saw sort of happening after the enlargement, as you also know, and this is you know a big part of the UK debate especially, uh, that you know the, the, the behavior of migrants or the, the amount of the magnitude of the migration uh, became one of the most spectacular migratory movements in contemporary European history. Uh, 1.2 million EU aid citizens uh, arrived in UK and Ireland alone uh, by December 2007. Uh, so I'm sort of going to show you most of the data up to the crisis period because then a number of dynamics have changed. Um, and uh, uh, basically the yearly net inflows quadrupled into the period that we witnessed. Uh, there are, were two sort of attached phenomena um, or sort of empirical um, sort of evolutions that we saw. The first one was appearance of a new profile of a migrant from Central Eastern Europe uh, who were young educated, uh, typically single, and finding employment in, in low-skilled occupations, low-skilled jobs uh, in UK. Uh, so this profile was new because the type of people we typically saw emigrating or out-migrating from Central Europe uh, were middle-aged uh, with vocational education, typically migrating to the border countries, uh, so Pol Polish people going to Germany uh, and to other sort of closer, closer countries. What also defined this period was the was sort of realization that the studies that tried to project uh, the number of migrants failed to anticipate both the magnitude uh, of the of the flows that we witnessed, but especially the variety uh, of the flows from the sending countries. So this chart uh, measures uh, emigration rates from Central Eastern Europe, uh, recalculated as a share of the active labor force. So we are trying to correct. Uh, for the size uh, of the of the sending country, uh, and uh, again these are figures from May 2004 to December 2007, and you can see that we there was a large uh, variation in the emigration out migration rates from Central Eastern Europe, uh, with much less people emigrating from Hungary, Czech Republic, and Slovenia, and then a huge outflows from Lithuania, Latvia. Uh, this data describe. Uh, immigration if you want to UK, Ireland and Sweden. Of course there are other flows that emerged sort of in the region of Central and Eastern Europe that intensified and also to other countries that kept transition periods. But when we add up that statistics, this variation pretty much is kept. Uh, so you now a question that emerged this is uh, given the relatively similar uh, living standards and, and wage differentials between Central and Eastern Europe and the key receiving countries, why do we see so much variation? Um, and here is where one of my sort of explanations uh, has come in. Of course, uh, the issue is very complex and, and we, there isn't one variable that would explain um, this diversity that we witness. Uh, but one of the factors that I investigated and looked into in more detail are the welfare systems in the sending countries as a factor that can help us to understand uh, this variation. Um, as you know, most research about welfare system or welfare magnet hypothesis uh, has focused on the receiving countries. So this is a particular area of migration studies where we have the receiving country bias uh, present uh, in this research. Uh, we can also say that from the sort of origin country um, the research on welfare system has been uh, neglected and um, I mean, welfare systems as such are not considered 
explicitly by any of the migration theories. So you can sort of think of them implicitly uh, taken care of, uh, but explicitly welfare system is not defined as a variable that would explain um, immigration or emigration. And this is for a number of reasons. So first of all, it's, it's you know, data on welfare systems is quite limited. There are many conceptual difficulties to studying welfare systems as a factor of, of migration. Um, and sort of um, one additional factor that I sort of propose as, as a reason why this is so is the fact that migration theory has been informed by migration from developing countries or much poorer countries, while welfare schemes or welfare regimes have not been implemented. And therefore, you know, tra traditionally it's not part of migration research. Uh, at the same time, I, I propose in my research uh, that welfare systems are likely to be an important uh, factor of migration in middle-income countries where governments have the capacity to invest into welfare and social security. And it's especially an important factor in post-socialist region where although the state has, has uh, drawn back uh, during the transition, uh, many of the elements of the socialist um, sort of legacy and welfare systems are one of them, uh, have been kept in place. Uh, what uh, sort of is less known uh, that there is a lot of, again, a lot of variation in how uh, sort of big or extensive welfare regimes in Central Eastern Europe are. Uh, and this is just sort of um, one way to display uh, this, this, vari this variation. So here I show so social protection spending uh, for the eight uh, Central Eastern European countries uh, per GDP and then per capita spending. And what we can identify is from the late 1990s, we, we basically see countries uh, sort of clustering or forming sort of types of groups with the, in the levels, of spending, uh, the levels of spending. And the um, lowest spending countries are the Baltic countries, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, which as you know are the highest out-migration countries. Uh, and then we have uh, Poland and Slovakia um, sort of catching up or behind. And then the highest spenders are the Czech Republic, uh, Hungary, Czech Republic, and Slovenia, which were also the countries from which we've seen the least emigration after the accession. Uh, so I've sort of decided to test a range of hypotheses which are uh, sort of very simple. I conceptualize welfare system as a mediating mechanism in the labor market, which is again sort of a key, key way to approach um, the dynamics we are seeing. Central Eastern Europe has gone through a rapid process of, of transition uh, with a major restructuring process that has impacted uh, employment, unemployment rates. Uh, in these countries, and from this perspective, welfare systems are even more important to help them uh, to adjust to a number of risks that people have been facing during the transition, and to sort of assist labor force adjustment uh, to new skill demands. Uh, so I propose two uh, hypotheses, which are sort of the reverse hypothesis of the welfare magnet uh, in the receiving countries. Uh, where I sort of expect to find a less, that a less generous welfare system will lead to more out-migration and a higher stringency in welfare benefit levels and welfare eligibility will encourage more out-migration. Sort of implicitly what these two hypotheses are, are trying to test is the first one is, is attempting to test this, this uh, factor at the macro level. So I would look at the social spending figures and, and see if, if we can find any correlation between spendings and, and emigration rates. Uh, the second hypothesis tried to sort of capture this phenomenon at the micro level. Because welfare system benefits, of course, are paid to concrete 
people and eligibility is defined um, on an individual level and who you are affects to a large degree what you are eligible for and what you get. Um, so that's why I look at, at welfare eligibility criteria for certain types of people who are likely to emigrate from Central and Eastern Europe and I try and see if across these countries we are able to identify any patterns that help us to explain perhaps why certain types of migrants, certain profiles of migrants have been emigrating more from, from some countries. So uh, these are just some indicators that I looked at, uh, the macro level of social protection expenditure and I hypothesize about the range of policies uh, that could potentially uh, be important, uh, labor market policy, family policy, healthcare and unemployment benefits. And then at the micro level, uh, where as I said, the redistributive nature of the welfare systems is important, uh, I look into the unemployment benefit system eligibility and generosity uh, that are the key determinant for older migrants, so people who are already in the labor market uh, and need to be assisted uh, in case of labor market risks, which are multiple during the transition and are reappearing now with the crisis, as we will hear from the other speakers. Um, and then and, and second sort of key area that I investigated were policies related to school-to-work transition, um, which is a, is a key issue, again, uh, quite, quite specific perhaps to the, to the Eastern Europe, is that we have many people uh, or an increasing rate of, of university graduates in these countries who don't necessarily were able uh, to find jobs that match their qualifications. And labor market mismatch has been one of the topical issues discussed in these countries uh, that if not addressed, um, there has been some work investigating this, finding that, that in the co if labor market mismatches have not been addressed by policies helping uh, either young graduates to, to sort of retrain or subsidize youth unemployment, uh, youth employment as a factor that can help these people integrate, that they have uh, supported or encouraged emigration uh, from these countries. So this is just a picture sort of demonstrating uh, labor market mismatch, if you want. Uh, these are high school graduates queuing in front of the labor office in, uh, in uh, central Slovakia. Uh, so these are people getting education and not being able to find it. And this is how long the queues can get in some of the regions in Poland, in Slovakia, that have been uh, suffering from more restructuring and more labor market problems. So I'm going to present just very little of the data, uh, but these are correlations between labor migration rates after the enlargement and range of, of social spending uh, indicators, where I basically try to see if we can find any relationship between the rates of emigration uh, from May 2007 to December, uh, May 2004 to December 2007, and uh, social spending across a range of, of factors prior to that period, so I averaged to, um, the figures, social spending figures from 2000 to 2004. And what we sort of see uh, is quite striking, uh, the consistency of the results is quite striking, that we see strong uh, and most of the time significant correlations uh, between the social spending levels uh, and uh, out migration or emigration rates. Um, I did not find, so what I expected is that active labor market policies would be a key factor that is going to affect uh, emigration rates. That was not confirmed and I have some, exp some explanations why I think that is the case. But with the exception of active labor market policies, we see uh, social expenditure per capita 
significantly and negatively correlated with emigration rates. Unemployment benefits weighted by unemployment rate as well. Sickness and health benefits, family benefits. And of course, unemployment rate as a, as a key factor that is going to explain uh, whether people emigrate or not from a particular country. This uh, I included into the sort of table to, to sort of um, use a different way to proxy welfare system generosity. So gross earnings, um, I don't need to explain. Net earnings uh, already incorporate some of the social transfers. And what we are seeing is that it doesn't matter as much for emigration rates, what, you, what is your gross earning, but once we look at the net earnings and look sort of incorporate into these calculations what the government is giving you through these different types of transfers, that seems to become significant and again, so it's, it's support of an expectation that, that the welfare system generosity might have been affecting some of the trends uh, we saw at the country level. So just to sum up um, very, very briefly, there seems to be a relationship between aggregate levels of social spending and migration, uh, which was found across countries and over time. I wasn't really able to elaborate on the overtime dimension, but I did look at the, at the data uh, across countries and over time to, to sort of test the support uh, on the empirical level. Uh, and what we seem to, to find through this macro level data and then some sort of secondary studies that are used uh, for different countries uh, is that welfare systems act as a substitute to migration. So if there is a welfare coming in, uh, this has been affecting decisions of people who tend to have different or a wider range of, of, of opportunities or of wider range of choices uh, which they can make and migration does not need to be one if there are other, other, other sort of survival solutions uh, available uh, to the people in these countries. So more specifically, older or more experienced migrants uh, were leaving the countries with weaker unemployment insurance schemes uh, or a lack of other schemes uh, that would assist workers in labor market adjustments. Uh, and the young or student migrants uh, have been living more extensively from those countries or those regions where mismatches between what they were educated to and what was demanded in the labor market uh, were greater and remained unaddressed. So this mismatch issue has been problematic. Some countries have been more, uh, more sort of active in trying to address this problem. Uh, so there are a couple of, of conclusions and, and implications uh, from this research. Uh, welfare systems mediate how individuals fare in domestic labor markets and in this way can affect migration choices and welfare can supplement migration, uh, which is sort of um, not a surprising finding, uh, but not much has been done uh, in this area in migration studies. Um, second sort of implication is that Central Eastern European welfare regimes are different enough uh, to have contributed to different rates of migration, uh, but even more interestingly, perhaps, uh, and I think that's an area of research that can be sort of continued further, uh, they have shaped the profiles of migrants. Uh, so these eligibility criteria um, give to some people in the national, sort of in the, in the country, uh, certain privileges more than to other people, and this can be affecting who is emigrating, so it's shaping the profiles of migrants. Um, and sort of the last um, conclusion is that welfare systems can be conceived of as an institutional determinant of migration, uh, which indirectly impacts who does and who does not migrate. So it can help us understand propensity to migrate as well as propensity to stay, which is equally interesting uh, and important uh, question. 
Of course, there are you know, a number of challenges to, to studying welfare regimes uh, because we are, in a way, trying to, to explain effect of a, of a sort of systemic variable on decisions of individuals. Uh, so we are trying to connect macro, micro-level dynamics, which is quite challenging and difficult. Uh, so there are many sort of uh, many uh, avenues to continue this research and to make it uh, stronger. But I will conclude here, and, and my colleagues have a lot of interesting, I think, more sort of micro-level uh, inputs to add to sort of more of a, of a macro-level research that I have been doing. So I give the floor to them. <laughs>